0: We're in a series right now that we're calling Holy Sex, looking at what God has to say about gender, sexuality, and marriage. And I know this whole area of sexual purity is especially hard for those of you that are unmarried or single again or teenagers. My heart goes out to you. It really does. It doesn't go so far out to you that I'd say, ah, it just can't be done today. Oh, well, things are so bad. Never mind. You can't stay sexually pure. No. But my heart does go out to you. This is a really, really, brutal day in trying to stay sexually pure because almost everything in our culture you're bombarded in a typical day relentlessly with messages that are in direct contradiction to God's word from billboards and news magazines and advertisements and and conversations at work and conversations at the gym and foul things that DJs are saying in between already very sexually inappropriate songs it's just relentless 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 So how are you going to stay sexually pure in a sex-saturated culture that's gone mad and would like you to live just like dogs in heat with no rules? What are you going to do? What are you going to do to keep your head clear and to keep fighting to please God with your body and your sexuality, which, by the way, are not your own to do whatever you want with? How are you going to do this? Well, I want to give you today what I think are some biblical strategies. Not everything there is to say. I could do five messages on this, but I've got one. Some of the biblical strategies that I hope will stir you maybe to look for some more. But I want to give you some biblical strategies for how you can keep fighting to stay sexually pure. Number one, hold your ground. Hold your ground and don't allow the world to depersonalize sex and take the face and the heart out of it don't don't go there don't let it happen see our culture today has turned sex into a faceless industry instead of the personal intimacy between a husband and wife in marriage big difference sex is big industry and god designed it to be personal intimacy between a husband and wife in marriage if you want one of the best things you can do if you want to keep thinking like god thinks about sex keep putting a face on sex keep the on sex, keep the heart and face on sex because God never designed sex to be a, a faceless pleasure that's just wrenched out of the context of a committed relationship between husband and wife it was never designed to be just raw physical, biological pleasure oh you can use it that way if you want but not without some horrible horrible long term consequences listen to me you can make Your own choices about sex. You can decide what you think about sex. But you cannot choose the consequences. You will reap a harvest of consequences that are associated with nameless, faceless, random, casual sex. You will. And I don't think you're going to like it. And if you're here and you're already on that path, but you're saying, oh, shut up. Everything's going great. Just give it some time. Shut up. Just give it a little time. See, I wish I was here to say for my own fight and and as a pastor, as I try to help you as my church family, I wish I could say, oh, there's no pleasure in sexual sin. Oh, there's no pleasure in doing things outside of God's way. That'd be a lie. The Bible doesn't say there's no pleasure. It calls sin the passing pleasures of sin. Oh, there's some pleasure. That's why it hooks us so. It just doesn't. Last, You end up on a path of diminishing returns with some horrible, horrible consequences. And you can see it all played out in Ephesians chapter four and five. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter four. And I do hope you have a Bible with you or an app in your lap. I'm trying to get with the times. Really, I'm trying. But if you really love Jesus, no, just kidding. Turn to Ephesians four or get it on your app. Beginning of verse 17, Ephesians chapter four, beginning of verse 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardening of their heart, who being past feeling. ...have given themselves over to sensuality... ...to work all uncleanness with greediness... ...the NIV says with a continual lust for... ...say it? ...more. Skip to chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be followers of God as dear children... ...and walk in love as Christ also has loved us... ...and given himself for us... ...an offering and a sacrifice to God... ...for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication... ...and that is the Bible word for sex before marriage... ...between singles who are not married... And it's a sin. But fornication, doesn't that sound ugly? Isn't it amazing how the world likes other words? Like when I'm working with someone that I'm trying to help and rescue from adultery, I will just keep calling it adultery. And I can tell her just like, oof, call it an affair. No, I won't. So when did you first commit adultery? How long have you been committing adultery? How did your adultery start? Why do I do that? Because when you use Bible words that make you feel the gravity of the situation, you're giving hope because Christ died for sin when you try to airbrush it and make it sound happy or friendly, then you wonder whether you need help. I'm not being mean, I'm giving hope. So if you're here and you're sexually active and you're not married, you're committing fornication. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you. The NIV says there shouldn't even be a hint, not even a hint of sexual immorality. As is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting. You know what that verse just did? Those phrases I just read, it just ruled out almost every sitcom. And I don't watch them. I just have to put up with the commercials for them during football that you can watch for the glory of God. <laughs> and the commercials are bad enough. The commercials tell me what's going on. It's like, oh my word, they say things like that now? She's acting like that about her breast. If you're sitting and drinking in sitcoms, it's just like rapid fire, machine gun, sexual immorality innuendos and it's beating you down it's wearing you down like the frog in the kettle you're going to start thinking like they're thinking because they get you laughing at something that is not funny but you just become more like them turn it off and read a good book like my book, or the Bible (laughs) turn it off don't sit, look at this neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator unclean person nor covetous man who's an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of christ and god let no one deceive you with empty words there's empty words coming out of people magazine empty words in the newspaper editorials empty words from dr so-and-so on campuses empty words empty words empty words empty words words that would try to convince you and lead you to believe oh but you can live the way you want you can make your own choices the bible's old and fuddy-duddy and antiquated and can't relate to today it's a lie Empty words. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Now, there's a lot tucked down into those verses, but there's three words that stand out the most to me that you see in verse 19. Being, being, past, feeling. And what makes me so sad is I'm seeing the effects of those three words and this path the world is leading us on. I'm seeing the effects of those three words, being, past, feeling, showing up more and more in the faces of younger and younger and younger men and women. Being past feeling. Their high eyes are hollow as their heart gets harder and harder, and as their feelings begin to freeze up, and their conscience begins to be seared and numbed as they buy in the lie of what the world is saying and they press down this path of free sex and sexual immorality and do whatever you want with your body. But you'll end up hollow with hollow eyes being past feeling. Empty. You'll feel spent and broken and alone. And subhuman. God's a good God. He's not a robber. He's a good God. See when you take sex outside of God's original design and purpose. And you divorce it from the original context. Of, and, of safety and commitment and vulnerability in a marriage relationship. It can't satisfy. And what was meant to be a blessing. Actually becomes an addiction. And long term ultimately an affliction. What was meant to bless and give life. And courage begins to take life and begins to suck the very life out of you. Because apart from the committed relationship of husband and wife, sex will suck the life out of you and leave you like one of those, like one of the hollow shells of a beetle on the side of a pine tree in Texas. You know what I'm talking about? Those big beetles. It's just a shell hanging there. It looks just like a beetle. Everything looks just right. Except there's no life in it the innards, the heart and soul have already been sucked out. Some of you, you're that beetle, just a hollow shell. And because of that, you're so fragile, just like you could walk up to that pine tree and just flick that beetle and just crumble. That's how your life feels, you just crumble. And sex is not the culprit here. Don't walk out of here and say, one more church, one more pastor that's against sex. You didn't get that from me. And if you've been here a while, then you know. I love Jesus and I love sex. <laughs> Jesus is first, but I'm not against sex. Sex is fantastic. I think it. God thinks it. Hallelujah. We agree on that. Because God thought of it. So sex is not the culprit, not the problem. But it was never designed to be nameless, faceless. It was never designed to be random and casual. Never. Never. See, when you head down the path of random, casual, faceless, sex, it begins to go bad on you like leaving a jug of milk out on the counter overnight. It gets toxic and begins to poison you and suck the life out of you instead of giving life to you. Leaving you depressed and anxious, hollow, feeling subhuman. Surprise, surprise, this week I was reading and doing some research and some big research had been done by none other than some PhD young lady at University of Kentucky Showing after all this research they did and surveys with 3,900 students on all these different campuses, that those that are sexually active, just jumping around from bed to bed to bed, are the most anxious, fearful, depressed, and suicidal. Imagine that. But then she hastened and said, now, we need to be careful. We, ha- we have no reason to believe that their feelings and what they're suffering are connected to their lifestyle. Oh, thank you. See, even when the world stumbles into truth, they just think, well, it can't mean that. It can't mean that. It can't mean, yeah, it does mean that God actually knows what he's talking about. Knows what he's talking about. Number two, so don't let the world push you into depersonalizing sex. Keep the face on it, keep the heart in it. Number two, strategy that you better get a hold of. Bring God back into the center of any discussion about sex. Listen to me, he's not like your grandmother. It will not embarrass him. He won't be like, oh, you said that word in front of me. I don't want to be here for this. How soon will this conversation end? God's never going to say, how soon will this conversation end? He's happy to be a part of that. In fact, he wishes he was a part of more conversations about sex. Bring God back into the center of any discussion about sex. I know it seems like a no-brainer, but it needs to be restated. Because it's sad to me that whenever... Whenever sex is talked about today, there's one voice that's almost always conspicuously absent. And it's the voice that actually carries the most wisdom and matters the most. God. 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 But as soon as I say that, I know it's up, some of you might be thinking, Oh, the one person I don't want interfering in my sex life is God. I challenge you on that. I challenge you on that. Do you know that God is the author of passion? The author and creator of sexual passion and pleasure. Not Playboy, not Penthouse, not Hugh Hefner, not any of the so-called sex sexperts that are out there. God is the author and creator of sexual passion and pleasure. See, God owns the secret recipe and the original ingredients for real satisfaction and sexual pleasure. Lean in close to me and I'll whisper it to you. might wanna write this down. It's called marriage. It's called commitment. It's called intimacy. And see, that flies in the face of our day today. I know that. That flies in the face of popular opinion today because we live in a day that thrives on the superficial. Our day thrives on the superficial. I'm happy to try to use social media to the glory of God, but I still have a big beef with social media. It is the king of superficial. News alert. Sex falls apart in the context of superficial. Sex doesn't do well in superficial. You can have 1,500 friends on Facebook that you really don't even know. And they aren't real friends because you're all just competing on showing off how how great your life is with the last party and postings and photos. Sex doesn't do well in the context of superficial. And that's why Genesis 2, 24 to 25 lays the groundwork for what God really intended in the sexual relationship. Turn there in your Bibles to Genesis, first book in the Bible. And notice how often we're going to Genesis because if you don't get the foundation right, everything else is crooked and off. Genesis 2, 25 to 24 lays the foundation for what God actually intended in the sexual relationship. And it says, Genesis 2, 24, 25. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. I want you to notice two things from those verses. I want you to notice how marriage and sex Wrapped up together in that verse Marriage and sex To use computer and phone company lingo Like what Cincinnati Bell does When it blitzes you with advertisements in the mailbox Marriage and sex are bundled together (laughs) Marriage and sex are bundled together God gave us marriage and sex together Together They're bundled together That's his plan It's a package deal The Bible Listen to me Look for it And correct me if I'm wrong but I don't think I am. The Bible never talks about sex in isolation apart from marriage. They're bundled together, bundled together. Like it or not, God gave us these two things bundled together and you can be as, you say, what? can I unbundle them? If you like. You can work as hard as you want. You can be as creative as you want. You can listen to all the so-called sex sexperts you want to who will be happy to help you try to unbundle these things and make it stand on its own. But you're going to face the consequences of that unbundling. And I don't think you're going to like it. Long term. I don't think you're going to like it. Because it will lead you down a path of diminishing returns. With horrible, horrible consequences. See here's the deal. To understand sex. Since sex sex is bundled together with marriage. You better understand marriage. And that's all up for grabs today. But let me say this. Marriage. Marriage is a covenant not, not, a, not a contract not a deal not, let's just test this out and see what we think marriage is a covenant and God designed sex to be a part of making that covenant and experiencing that covenant's renewal over and over and over again so that sex is much more than just a biological or physical handshake And it was never meant to be treated like some thrill ride at an amusement park that just gives you some kind of rush and leaves you screaming and breathless like the the latest, greatest roller coaster. When you try to make sex a handshake or a thrill ride, it destroys you and others around you. You'll get thrown from that ride. It was never designed to be a simple handshake or a thrill ride. Sex is much bigger and better than all that. God designed the sex, get this, God designed the sexual relationship to actually be a kind of super glue that bonds two people together in much greater ways than just the physical. Timothy Keller has my current favorite book on marriage that is not in the Resource Center. There were just people buzzing in there looking for it, sorry, The Meaning of Marriage. The Meaning of Marriage, fantastic. And he says this, Timothy Keller says this about the sexual relationship. Sex makes you feel deeply connected to the other person, even when used wrongly. So unless you deliberately disable it, so you can work hard to try to disable what was meant to be natural about sex. Unless you deliberately disable it or through practice you numb the original impulse, sex makes you feel personally interwoven and joined to another human being as you are literally physically joined. In the midst of sexual passion, you naturally want to say things like, I'll always love you. Even if you're not married, you'll find yourself feeling marriage-like ties. Feeling like the other person has obligations to you But that other person has no legal Social or moral responsibility To even call you back in the morning This incongruity Leads to jealousy And hurt feelings and obsessiveness If two people are having sex But are not married It makes, oh listen to this Because I see this all the time As a pastor I'm painfully called To come alongside situations Where I see exactly what he's about to say It makes breaking up vastly harder than it should be. When you have sex with everyone you go out on a date with, oh my word, that wasn't meant to be. It makes breaking up vastly harder than it should be. It leads many people to stay trapped in relationships that are not good because of a feeling of having somehow connected themselves. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many times I've been trying to help a young woman who is in a relationship with a guy that is nothing but trouble, nothing but bad news. He's a loser and she will not break up. She will not dump him. She will not step away. Her family's saying, dump him. Her pastor's saying, dump him. Her friends are saying, dump him. It's one of those moments where often family's not Christian, friends aren't Christian, I am, but we're all saying the same thing. Get rid of him and she will and not in my first conversation but as it continues with like uh, i'll look at her and say not in front of everybody privately are you sleeping with him are you having sex with him i've never had any other response than this yeah It's super glue that bonds you together and and gives you this sense of we have a connection. It makes it harder to step away from relationships that aren't even good. He's not good to you. This is going nowhere. Sex was meant to be the superglue that seals the covenant of a marriage relationship. It's more than a physical act. It represents something much bigger. That's why you want to save it for marriage. Save it for marriage. God's not some killjoy. He's not against sex. But he doesn't want you using superglue with someone that you're not married to. Save it. And save yourself a lot of heartache and angst. I want you to hear something this morning. If you don't get anything else, if you've already checked out on me, I've already ticked you off, check in for just 30 more seconds. Get this. God, God, if you don't remember anything else, God is not concerned that you'll experience too much sex, that it'll be too good. He's never like, oh, I didn't mean for you to really get into it. No, 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 just procreate, just basic No. He's not not concerned that you'll experience too much sex and that it'll be too good. Because God is good. And God loves you more than anybody else on this earth. Loves you. He's good. I'll tell you what he's concerned about. He's concerned that you'll get too little and pay way too much for it. Like the guy, you know, like the guy in Central Park. I've been there a number of times because I have a friend that's a pastor in Queens. Like the guy in Central Park, New York City, selling fake watches. They've got a briefcase on the bench and you walk by, they're like, want to buy a watch? Or they've got a sport coat and they whip it open. There's watches hanging down both sides. It's the guy who buys the fake watch, the fake Rolex in Central Park. And then wonders why it doesn't live up to all he's heard about Rolex. Hey, you didn't get the real thing. You took a shortcut, you bought a cheap imitation. You didn't wait, you didn't save. And so you don't enjoy the pleasures of a first class piece of jewelry. God's not against sex. I'll tell you what he's against. He's against you experiencing some cheap imitation of his glorious original design and that you'll pay way too much for it and be left with far too little. And let me point out the difference between premarital sex and married sex. Because there's a big difference. With premarital sex, so often, the whole relationship is physical. The whole relationship is, we're gonna get together, watch a movie, do some Chinese, have sex. Watch a movie, do some Chinese, have sex. It's just, like, it's just like this frenzy. The whole relationship is just sexual. So very often, premarital sex is like gasoline on a fire. Passion is high. Feelings are intense. And the drive to go further is fueled by a sense of the forbidden, the naughtiness. We shouldn't. Because see, even if you're not a Christian, his law is in your heart. And that puts it in a very different category. Very different. Married sex is radically different. There's still passion and there's still intense feelings and emotions. But sex and marriage is different in that, that, hey, first of all, lots of times you got kids. you got more responsibilities. You've got more pressures. You've got jobs. You've got things breaking. You've got response. You're tired. And the whole relationship is more than sexual. It's not just movie, a Chinese and sex. Movie, some Chinese food and sex. Whole lot more going on than that. And so, married sex, in the context of husband and wife, is based primarily on the hot coals of sacrifice, devotion, and trust. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't hear me saying, oh, well, married people just have ho-hum vanilla sex. I will not embarrass you with the details, but no, we don't all. (laughs) new. Okay, <laughs> don't hear me saying married people can't have great sex. They do, they do. But, but let me hear, I want you to hear this. It's got something better. It doesn't always have to be a bonfire that you just threw two gallons of gasoline on. Because <laughs> it's hard to keep that going. And that's why singles who are having sex often have to go from person to person to person. It's got to get kinkier and kinkier and kinkier to get that same thrill, that same high, Oh, listen to me, married sex is like the hot coals that warm you and comfort you in the context of commitment and devotion and safety and trust. And I don't have to worry about how flat my abs look. I don't have to worry about any of all that. I'm not trying to show off or prove anything. We're committed. And this is good for a lifetime. And it gets better and better and better. Whereas premarital sex... (laughs) There's an expiration date on that it's hard to keep that up and the relationship just when it's just based on that and that's at the heart of it all so unhealthy so hurtful so insecure there's insecurities wrapped all around that and see here's the thing because satan came to steal and destroy listen to me especially you teenagers and singles Satan wants you to wet your appetite and cut your teeth and get used to and set the standard. He wants you to run sexually on the sugar and caffeine and monster drink of raw lust. Just throwing gasoline on the fires of raw lust. Because then what happens is you get married and so often people can be disappointed. It's different. Oh, yeah, it's different. But it's better. Wow, it's different. It's better for a life Time, lifetime. Hold out for the best. Hold out for the best. Strategy number three, you need to embrace, come to terms with and embrace. Not just submit to, not just hunker down, not just raw duty. You need to come to terms with and embrace God's plan for your sexuality. And I know this is gonna sound old school, but God's plan for you singles and your sexuality is abstinence, period, period. Abstinence, period. Let, let me get an amen. Because he loves you. Not because he's against sex. Not because he thinks it's bad. Because he wants you to have the best. He doesn't want you to have that cheap, fake Rolex. He wants you to have the real deal, the real thing. And contrary to the world's opinion, you can control yourself. You can say no. You can. You're not just dogs in heat. Is it hard? Oh, yeah. I was single. I, didn't, I wasn't born married. I was single until I was 23. Woo, one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I loved Jesus. I was a Bible college graduate. It didn't mean I didn't have sexuality. That was hard. It's a fight. It's a fight. It's hard, but it's a fight worth fighting. And see, here's the other thing. God does not call you to do what he will not enable you by his grace to do. He's not a bad dad that loves setting up standards and watch you jump, 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 jump. <laughs> That's hard, isn't it? <laughs> you can never do that. <laughs> no. God will enable you to do what He calls you to do. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three to five. It is God's will. Right there. Singles, so often, all of us can be guilty of this, but especially singles, sometimes. Oh, I want to know God's will for my life, and where should I work, and where should I live, and who should I marry? uh, Hey, here's an exciting verse It is God's will. Hello, here's the will of God, at least in one area of your life. Are you interested? Well, not really. Well, get interested. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not impassionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. God calls you to control your own body and live for something bigger than yourself. That's why Ephesians 5.25 says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You know what that is right there? I know it's a verse you've heard you know what that is right there, Ephesians 5.25? It's the definition of a real man. That's a real man. That's a real man. And our world has lost sight of it and God brings it back into focus for us. That's a real man. Turn off the TV, put down the glossy magazines. I know that might not look like the cover of GQ and it might just elicit a yawn or a sigh from you, but you ought to get excited about Ephesians 5.25 because that's the definition of a real man. That's what a real man looks like. He sacrifices, he puts the needs of others ahead of himself and he's a giver, not a taker. Oh, so much for, oh, he's hilarious. I'm so disappointed how many girls today. He's funny. Funny won't get it after several years of marriage. Find a favorite comedian that's clean and listen to him but don't marry a good man, a real man and find funny somewhere else. Oh, he's gorgeous. He won't still be gorgeous forever. Gravity will pull this all down especially those guys that are athletes oh mark my words those muscles turn to fat quickly oh he's funny he's gorgeous oh he's got a guitar he sings whatever a real man sacrifices a real man puts the needs of others ahead of himself a real man is a giver rather than a taker that's a real man and we need more of them we need more of them And we need you ladies to hold out for it. I know they're rare, but trust God, he's a big God. Hold out for a real man. And young men, start being a real man. We got too many boys hooking up with women. We need some real men, real men. And it has nothing to do with how tan and how funny and how cut his abs are and how any of that. Find yourself a pudgy, faithful man. Because here's the good news on that. When they start off, Pudgy, you're not disappointed when it happens later. (laughs) All right? We start off with this, oh, and then he becomes, oh. (laughs) You know? A real man. I wouldn't agree with almost anything that Rob Bell says anymore. But he gets it right with this, and he wrote it quite a while ago when I read it and saved it. He says, perhaps this is why the text, Ephesians 5.25, talks about the man dying for the woman. This can be terrifying for a man. Committing to a woman for life is going to demand courage, fidelity, strength that he may not know he has. That's why some men take such pride in their sexual conquest. They're desperately running from their fear that they don't have what it takes to lay down their lives for a woman. Sleeping with lots of women makes them feel, gives them the feeling of being a man without actually having to be one. Ow. Yeah. Yeah what we got going on today we got athletes all over the place making millions of dollars it just grieves me when i read the paper and they got children all over the united states from four and five different women that they never married that's not a real man no matter how many yards rushing he can accomplish or how far he can hit a baseball we got singers the same way i like john Mayer's music but i've read more than one article that he prides himself in bedding down as many beautiful women as he can Now, ladies, no matter how his voice might melt you and how gorgeous his looks might be, that's not a real man. He's afraid of being a real man, and he's trying to prove it some other way. A real man waits. A real man exercises self-control. A real man marries one woman. A real man stays faithful to one woman. Perfect? No. Different? Yes, one woman for life and bathes little kids and balances the checkbook and fixes things and comes home day after day after day and it may not be glitzy, it may not be splashy but that's a real man. (laughs) Pray for one, wait for one and if you're here and you're a young man, become one. Say, God, I wanna get on that path. God, I wanna be that real man that some woman is looking for and praying for. Don't spend these years just jumping from bed to bed to bed and playing video games and doing whatever you want. Become a real man who's worthy of a real woman. Got more, but i got to move on. (laughs) Strategy number four. You need to take God's way of escape. You need to be willing to take God's way of escape. And it's not that creative. It's pretty simple. It's captured in one little word. Four letters. F-L-E-E. Say it. Flee, flee! First Corinthians six 8, eighteen says, "Flee sexual immorality." Second Timothy two twenty two says, "Flee youthful lust." And let me help you understand what that word "flee" means. It means you don't hang around trying to see how close to the edge of the sexual temptation pit you can get. I got so many people that want me to draw a line for them, tell them exactly how much they can do. Wrong spirit, wrong attitude, and then they want to lean against it and lean over it. We got. Christians, especially single guys, that are like little kids in the back seat playing the game of is it sin yet? Is it sin yet? Is it sin yet? Wrong question. Pursue holiness, pursue righteousness, pursue faith, love, gentleness, steadfastness. The goal is not to see how close you can get to it before it bites you and sucks you in. Flee sexual immorality. Flee youthful lust. In the final minutes, let me close with this because I know this has been hard for some of you, probably a lot of you, really hard because you've already blown it. You've already stepped across the line or you're stuck in it right now. I want to give you some hope. Final point, it is never too late to start pleasing God. That's why he's called a redeemer. He takes what is broken and redeems it. That's why he's called Reconciliation, restoration, our God delights in restoring, redeeming, reconciling, renewing. It's never too late to start pleasing God. That's why 1 Corinthians 6, 13 to 20 says, Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Flee immorality, for you have been bought with a price, therefore... Glorify God, not just with your mouth. Don't just say the right things at small group. Don't just say the right things around Christians. Glorify God with your, say it, body. Your body's not your own. And it may be scarred. It may be broken, emotionally and sexually broken already. But don't listen to the enemy's lie that would say, it's too late for you. You've gone too far. There's no hope for you. You're second class. no, 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 no. You can't just give up and say, I've already blown it, so I'm just gonna throw in the towel and not try anymore. God owns you. You've been bought with a price and he loves you. He's not embarrassed. He's not ashamed. He won't hold you at arm's length. He won't treat you like the redheaded stepchild. You turn to God in your brokenness, in your mess. He will draw you to his bosom. He will look you in the eyes. He will be proud of you. He will change you from the inside out. Our God redeems he'll make you a trophy of grace there are hundreds of people sitting in this room you know you know God has spoken grace and mercy over your sin we didn't all pop out of the womb and show up like this loving Jesus carrying our Bibles involved in a small group raise your hand if you know God has spoken grace and mercy over your sin huh oh don't let the enemy lie to you today if you're sitting here and he's telling you oh but you're not like these other people Happens all the time. I hear people tell me that. I just feel like I don't belong. If you're here and you're broken, you're here and you're a mess, you're here, you've already stepped across the line, way across. Welcome. Welcome. These are people who God has spoken grace and mercy over our sin because of the death of Christ. And he would love to do it for you. He'll change you. He'll love you. He'll accept you. He'll give you hope and purpose and joy. That's why 1 Corinthians 6, 10 and 11 says, and such were some of you. See, sin never has to have the last or loudest word in your life. Never. That's why he says, such were some of you. We got a room full of S-W-S-Y's. Such were some of you. Such were some of you. It's, it's not like, oh, these are the people that never blew it. These are the people that always did the right thing. These are the people that are all married as virgins. I won't embarrass everybody, but everybody here was probably not married as a virgin. These are people that such were some of you. And God has spoken grace and mercy over our sin. He would love to do it for you starting today. Let's pray together. Oh God, how I pray that you would meet every person right where they are just now. That one that's had themselves in a special category, it's been so hard for them to even hear this message that have thought, oh, 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 I've already blown it. I've gone too far. There's no hope for me. I I just got to get out of here. Draw them to yourself right now. Sing over them with your love. Assure them that you would be delighted to restore and redeem and renew and give them the heart and hope to draw a line in the sand and say, from this day forward, I'm going in a new direction by God's grace. There's hope. He bought me. He owns me. And Lord, for others that are sitting here that technically they're saying the right things with their mouth and yeah, they haven't crossed a huge line yet, but they're leaning hard against it. Lord, give them a passion that's greater than that. To be different, to pursue holiness and righteousness, to be that real man and get ready to be that real man, to marry a real woman and give the young ladies here heart and hope in you, even though their eyes look around and say, where is he? I just don't see guys like this. Give them heart and hope to wait on you and bring these two together. The woman waiting for the real man and the young man who has worked by your grace to become that real man. Give them hope. Give them hope. And for that person that's stuck in a pit that doesn't even know you, they've tried in their own strength numerous times and never have realized it doesn't work. Cause them to drop to their knees and say, oh God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Come into my life. Be Lord And then together, let's work on my sexual purity. Together, let's fight the good fight of faith. Together, let's go down a new path because I can't do this in my own strength. And even the world world tells me this is the way to live with freedom and all. I'm miserable. I'm broken. I'm hollow. I feel subhuman. Restore me, oh God, and start by saving me. Oh God, do a work on every level in this room. By your grace and for your glory,